This is the Opening Market Podcast on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network for Wednesday, November the 30th. I'm Dustin Huffman. We're talking right now with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Jim, uh, kind of a nice start to the day, kind of easy gains there. I mean, what are we seeing going into this Wednesday? Well, right now, I think you got to look, be, if you're a bean bull, you got to be excited. We have taken out kind of the November highs in the overnight market, making new highs for the move. I think we're at highs that we haven't seen in 10 weeks. A couple things that are driving it on the weather front, Argentina continues to miss out on the rains in general. So the products, if people are worried about the production up, you know, prospects, excuse me, down in Argentina. The other thing going on in Argentina, Dustin, is they did that new soy peso deal like they did earlier in the year. Um, to try to generate revenue for the Argentina government. But unlike the first go-around, they're not finding a lot of producers willing to let go of their beans, as it seems like the producers are a little bit hesitant to do that until they get a better idea of what this upcoming crop is going to look like. So that just shows you how worried they are down there. So that's given a little bit of boost to the meal market because Argentina is a big mitt player in the meal, uh, world meal sales. On the other side of the equation, you got crude oil market continues to run higher. It's up almost three dollars today. That is pulling the bean oil market up as they kind of following that oil pulling into the biodiesel kind of play. And then on top of it, there's stories out of Malaysia, too much rain affecting palm oil production. That's also providing a little bit of support for the bean oil. So the beans are looking the strongest of the day. Corn is up a penny, wheat's up a couple cents. But like I said, the story today looks like it's going to be the bean market at least to begin with. Now, you know, talking about that Argentina situation, like you said, they 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 revalued the peso a little bit for soy. Explain for listeners how that exactly worked. Well, plain and simple, you know, Argentina deals with a whole lot of inflation. I mean, we're dealing with inflation, you know, 7 8% inflation. They deal with inflation double digits, sometimes 50, 70, 75% inflation. So what happens, Dustin, is producers are very hesitant to essentially convert their commodity, beans, into pesos they just refuse to do it because the peso buying power depreciates by the day so what they're doing is they're essentially giving the producer more pesos higher than the normal exchange rate to essentially entice that producer to move those beans and last time around they did it the producer sold up to 12 million metric tons of beans they were hoping to get the producer to sell three to four million metric tons of beans this go around they're just not getting that deal um, like I said, I don't think it has to do with the worry about the peso and the inflation. This time around, it's plain and simple. It's just like producers in the United States. You know, when you are a little bit dry in Iowa, this you know, you know, you kind of hold back from forward selling it. Maybe want to make sure you've got a crop. Well, that's kind of what the Argentinians are doing right now. They're holding back a little last year's crop because they're just not quite certain what this year's crop is going to be because they're definitely fighting the drought. Now, on the other hand, you don't going to get too ragingly bullish, Dustin, on what's going on in South America. Is is in general, Brazil is having very good weather, very good luck for the most part. So there is an argument to be made, whatever lost production we're going to have out of Argentina, it could be offset by a record production out of Brazil. It's, time will tell, but that's something we've got to keep an eye on. Another thing that I know people are watching, of course, is China and the situation there with the COVID lockdowns. You know, it's causing some civil unrest there as well. I mean, what's the story there? Right now, I think there's a little bit more positivity. Now, we aren't seeing quite as many of the civil unrest as we saw or coming out of the weekend when the market kind of was down hard on fears of, you know, civil unrest causing a lot of economic problems. The, it looks like the, uh, the Chinese government, the military police have put kind of a wet blanket on the, the unrest and the protests. We're not hearing about it. But it also looks like they did 
get the message. They're getting a little bit more aggressive on maybe um, giving shots in the elderly's arms. For the most part, it's the elderly that have more risk of dying from COVID. They're also making talking a little bit more positive rhetoric about reopening. And that's kind of given a more positive vibe. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing the crude oil up a little bit, because it does look like the Chinese government is starting to realize they've got to move on to like the rest of the world. And this lockdown just is not working. The, vi- the virus is just too too contagious, plain and simple. So uh, the more they open up, the more the economy goes, the better off it's going to be for, for the world. The reality is, Dustin, they're the biggest consumer of, of raw goods in the world. So if their economy slows down, we're going to fill it here in the United States. If their economy staying, hangs in there or actually improves, that's only going to be more positive for the American producer, potentially. You know, and as we're talking right now, Jim, I just heard some train cars banging across the street, and I'm wondering if we're going to hear them doing that in a week or so. I know Congress was asked to step in by the president. What are we seeing on that rail strike stuff right now? It looks right now like they are going to, um, from what I understand, the House is going to vote on a bill. Today, it looks like, from what I saw, the Senate will probably pretty much agree. Essentially what they're doing is essentially back before, you know, back in November, you had an agreement made by the union heads as well as the rail industry. So the union reps from the union people who send their reps to negotiate, they cut this deal. The union people did not, obviously did not pass it, or not all the unions. I think four out of the 12 unions rejected the deal. But essentially what Congress is going to do is they're going to step in, in essence, to make a law that essentially is going to force the unions to take the deal that their union union reps agreed to, which will essentially negate the the essential the threat of a strike if it gets done. And it's just a political issue right now for a lot of people. The reality is it would be a very negative impact. Estimates are one to two billion dollar economic hit to the GDP of the government or the U.S. on every day it would be on strike. And it's just the other situation. Remember, I mean, we move grain, we move corn, but we move a lot of energy that heats homes. We move a lot of the chemicals to keep our water clean via trains. So it's an economic situation that probably as a whole, it's probably a good deal. It's not, the strike's going to be averted, but it's unfortunate that it's the Congress has got to step in to do it. You know, and this is not the first time that's happened. I'm wondering if this now gives them time, even if the strike is averted and, and Congress blocks it, if there's still a way for them to negotiate for some of the things they want that they say beyond pay, if that's something they can still negotiate in good faith, even though the things are going to keep rolling. I think that's what you're going to see. I think the reality is there's still going to be hopefully some negotiations to get this thing worked up. Essentially, keep the trains moving, but try to hopefully the, you know, the both groups can come to an agreement. Cause I know a lot of the complaint is not about pay. A lot of it has to do with healthcare and dealing with people, you know, if you're sick and all that. So there's, you know, I think, you know, from what I've read, I do think the unions and the rail workers do have a legit argument over what they're, what they're demanding. And the reality is if you look at the profitability of the rail industry, they've made a whole lot of money the last couple of years. In essence, if you look at the amount of people running those railroads, they've essentially cut the labor force in half and that cut in labor force, which means the workers that are still on are doing a lot more work, but the benefits have been reaped by the railroad. So hopefully they can get a deal done. But yeah, just because it's locked in by the, by the government, they could still negotiate, I believe. All right. Now, we haven't talked much about livestock today. What are we seeing going into those markets today? 
Right now, I think you're going to see a little bit of positivity. The stock market's relatively quiet, but the GDP number came in there at an annual rate of 2.9% in the third quarter, which is a lot better than people were thinking. I mean, there's a lot of fear of we are in a recession based on just you know where we're at, but when you look at that GDP number at 2.9%, I mean, that's probably going against the narrative, and that's kind of a positive sign. The Fed, Atlanta Fed, puts out a projection of the GDP, and it's hard to believe, but that expectation right now says the fourth quarter GDP could be up to 4.3%, which is an incredibly strong GDP number, to be quite honest. So I think that should be a little bit positive to the protein markets because a strong GDP usually means it's hard to have a recession when your GDP is that strong. You know, and we were talking, you know, earlier before these numbers had come out, you know, a couple weeks ago, and even though past week that we weren't sure what was going to happen with proteins, you know, beyond Christmas, and you know, once you get past that holiday season, that's when we were waiting to see if you know, that's where the rubber was going to meet the road, and that surge would be over with, and maybe with these numbers, we won't see uh, such a backlash in, in some of that uh, in some of that consumption. I think is exactly right. I mean, the reality is, especially on the on the you know on the cattle and you know all pro, all aspects are the supply of cattle is going to tighten, which really has, you know, the argument can be very very friendly. These cattle prices are going to work higher as we go into 2023. The always linchpin of the whole thing was what was the demand going to be like? We know the supply's dropping, but the reality is, if the demand's not there the prices are going to pull back. We saw that in the cotton market earlier this year. The cotton market exploded higher because we were worried about the supply situation due to the drought, but the cotton market went into free fall when the demand essentially got cut out from under the cotton market. But yeah, so you got a tightening supply situation developing on top of it, a stronger economy than what a lot of people were thinking, at least on this GDP number, projected GDP number. That is definitely going to be a little bit more positive than I think what we were, that what we were thinking just a few weeks ago. Now we'll see. We got a jobs number here at the end of the week but you know if on the economic aspect at least today you got to be a little bit more positive and that should be a little bit more positive on the protein side one last question about grains for you jim looking ahead at the uh, 23 new crop prices i mean what should farmers be thinking about i know we always say look at what your profit margins are but what kind of things should they be taking into account especially when we don't know what 23 is going to be holding well, I think what you got to look at is, like I said, the profit is going to be the key. Don't you know? Six dollar corn definitely doesn't sound as attractive as I've got customers selling corn today, yesterday for seven dollars. But you know, so we compared the price of twenty, you know, twenty twenty three to twenty twenty two. It's not as attractive. But what you got to look at right now, producers, is your break evens. Your you know, this crop being plant, upcoming crop being planted quite potentially could be the most expensive ever between input costs, borrowing costs are going to be at some levels we haven't seen in a very, very long time. We're in operating notes, seven, seven and a half, eight percent for your operating notes this year. The reality is if you can lock in profits, Dustin, we're going to encourage people to do that either via the cash and then maybe use options to reown it in case we're dry. Or the other hand, maybe use an option scenario to kind of put a floor in because Everything does look a little bit positive today. There's no doubt about it. We're reacting to positive news in the crude oil market. We're looking to positive news to what's going on in Argentina. A, you know, a positive economic number, but there are still a lot of black swans waving over our head. If Brazil happened to have a very big crop, and we follow up with a very good crop in 2023, I would argue very aggressively that the odds are very high that you're not going to see $6 corn in the fall. You'll probably be closer to 5 you will not be seeing $14 beans for Nov 23. You'll probably be closer to 12 if we have a good crop in Argentina, Brazil and a good crop in the U.S. So there's some risk. We want to take the profitability and lock it in because if we happen to have a very good crop in 2023, 
you can still lock in profits. But the reality is a good crop in 23 followed up with a decent crop in 2024, it could get into a negative cash flow situation. So it's something, uh, you know, I think producers got to take a very serious thought process as we go into kind of the winter doldrums and start, uh, you know, sharpening that pencil and uh, make, you know, lock, look where your break-evens are and come up with price targets to lock in those break-evens. All right, if those producers that are listening out here in Iowa want to, you know, talk with uh, folks at agmarket.net to look at what kind of options they have once they've put that pencil to paper, what's the best way for them to get in touch? You can reach me directly at 815-665-0461 or reach any of the agmarket.net team members at 844-424-6758 or go to our webpage, agmarket.net. And if you'd like to come to our conference in early February, go to our webpage, agmarket.net, hit the banner at the top, and it'll um, give you some information about that as well. All right, Jim. Well, thanks so much for the insight. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, and um, have a good week of trading.